So I guess what we're going to do is we're going to、uh, talk about your life and、um, using some pictures that you shared with me. And I think we should start right here with this one. Okay. Now,、uh, who is this? This is me with、um, our oldest son Eli. He was about age five. This is、uh, taken in Nigeria right after having taken the Washington D.C. bar exam. Okay, and this, but this doesn't really look like a Martin. Right, that was、um, myself as a male, the way I、um, was brought up, and、um, before I transitioned from、right. male to female and Martin to Martin. You were brought up Martin Rothblatt. Correct. And about a year after this picture,、um, you married a beautiful woman. Was this love at first sight? What happened there? It was love at the first sight. I saw Bina at a、uh, discotheque in Los Angeles, and we later began living together. But the moment I saw her, I saw just an aura of energy around her. I asked her to dance. She said she saw an aura of energy around me. I was a single male parent. She was a single female parent. Uh, we showed each other our kids' pictures, and、uh, we've been happily married for a third of a century now. <laughs> um, another time, you were you were kind of this hotshot entrepreneur working with satellites. I think you had two successful companies, and then you started、uh, addressing this problem of how do you, how could you use satellites to revolutionize radio? Tell us about that. Right. I always loved space technology, and satellites to me are sort of like the canoes that our ancestors first pushed out into the water. So it was exciting for me to be part of the navigation of the oceans of the sky. And、um, as I developed different types of satellite communication systems, the main thing I did was to launch、um, bigger and more powerful satellites. The consequence of which was that the receiving antennas could be smaller and smaller. And after going through direct television broadcasting, I had the idea that if we could make a, a more powerful satellite, the receiving dish could be so small that it would just be a section of a parabolic dish, a flat little plate、mm. embedded into the roof of an automobile, and it would be possible to have nationwide satellite radio. And that's Sirius XM today. Wow! So who here is you, Sirius? Wow. Thank you for your monthly subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that succeeded despite all, all predictions at the time. It was a huge commercial success. But、um, but soon after this, I guess in the early 1990s, there was this big transition in your life, and you became Martin. Correct. So, tell me, how did that happen? It happened、um, in consultation with Bina. And、um, our four beautiful children, and I discussed、uh, with each of them that I felt my soul was was always female and as a woman, but I was afraid people would laugh at me if I expressed it. So I always kept it bottled up and、uh, just showed my male side. And each of them had a different take on this.、Uh, Bina said that.、Um, I love your soul, and、uh, whether the outside is Martin or Martine, it, it doesn't matter to me. I love your soul.、Uh, my son uh, said, um, "If you become a woman, will you still be my father?" And I said, "Yes, I'll always be your father, and I'm still his father today." 
My youngest daughter did an absolutely、uh, brilliant five-year-old thing. She、uh, told people, "I love my dad, and she loves me." <laughs> and、um, so she had no problem with、uh, gender blending whatsoever. And a couple years after this, you published this book, *The Apartheid of Sex*. What was your thesis in this book? My thesis in this book is that there are seven billion people in the world, and actually、uh, seven billion unique ways to express one's gender. And while、um, you know people may have the genitals of a male or a female, the genitals don't determine your gender or even really your sexual identity. That's just a matter of anatomy and reproductive tracts, and people can choose whatever gender they want if they weren't forced by society into categories of either male or female, the way South Africa used to force people into categories of black or white. We know from anthropological science that race is fiction, even though racism is very, very real, and we now know from cultural studies. That separate male or female genders is a constructed fiction. The reality is a gender fluidity that crosses the entire continuum from male to female. You yourself don't always feel 100% female. Correct. I I would say in some ways I change my gender about as often as I change my hairstyle. <laughs> okay. Now, this is your gorgeous daughter, Genesis. And I guess she was about this age when something pretty terrible happened. Yes,、uh, she、uh, was finding herself unable to walk up the stairs in our house to her bedroom, and after several months of doctors, she was diagnosed to have a rare, almost invariably fatal disease called pulmonary arterial hypertension. So, how did you respond to that? Well, we we first tried to get her to the best doctors we could. We ended up at Children's National Medical Center in Washington D.C. The head of pediatric cardiology told us that、uh, he was going to refer her to get a lung transplant, but not to hold out any hope because there are very few lungs available, especially for children. He said that、uh, all people with this illness died, and、um, if any of you have seen the film Lorenzo's Oil. There is a scene when the protagonist kind of rolls down the stairways, stairway, crying and and bemoaning the fate of his son, and that's exactly how we felt about Genesis. But you didn't accept that as the limit of what you could do. You you started trying to research and see if you could find a cure somehow. Correct. She was in intensive care ward for weeks at a time, and I would、uh, Bean and I would tag team to stay at the hospital while the other watched the rest of the kids. And when I was in the hospital and she was sleeping, I went to the hospital library. I read every article that I could find on pulmonary hypertension. I had not taken any biology even in college, so I had to go from like a biology textbook to a college-level textbook, and then medical textbook, and the journal articles, back and forth. And eventually, I knew enough to think that it might be possible that somebody could find a cure. So we started a nonprofit foundation. I wrote a description of、uh, asking people to submit grants, for, and we would pay for medical research. I became an expert on the condition. A doctor said to me, "Martin, we really appreciate all the、um, funding you've provided us, but、um, we are not going to be able to find a cure in time to save your daughter." However, there is a medicine that was developed at.、Um, 
the Wellcome Trust, Burroughs Wellcome Company, that could halt the progression of the disease, but um, Burroughs Wellcome has just been acquired by Glaxo Wellcome. They made a decision not to develop any medicines for rare and orphan diseases, and um, maybe you could use your expertise in satellite communications to de develop this cure for pulmonary hypertension. So how on earth did you get access to this drug? I went to Glaxo Welcome, and um, after three times being rejected and having the door slammed in my face because they weren't going to outlicense it, the drug, to a satellite communications expert, they weren't going to um, they weren't going to send the drug out to anybody at all, um, and they thought I didn't have the expertise. Finally, uh, I was able to persuade a small team of people to work with me and develop enough credibility. I wore down their resistance, and they had no hope this drug would even work, by the way, and they tried to tell me, you're just wasting your time, we're sorry about your daughter. But finally, for $25,000, and agreement to pay 10% of any revenues we might ever get, they agreed to give me worldwide rights to this drug. And so you put this drug on the market with, with, uh, in a really brilliant way by basically charging what it would take to make the economics work, right? Oh, How yes, Chris, but this really wasn't a drug that I ended up getting. When I, when I, after I wrote the check for 25000 and I said, OK, where's the medicine for Genesis? They said, well, Martine, there, there's no medicine for Genesis. This is just something we tried in rats. <laughs> and they gave me like a little plastic Ziploc bag of a small amount of powder. They said, don't give it to, you, to any human. And they gave me a, a piece of paper which said it was a patent. And from that, we had to figure out a way to make this medicine. A hundred chemists in the U.S. at the top universities all swore that little patent could never be turned into a medicine. If it was turned into a medicine, it could never be delivered because it had a half-life of only 45 minutes. And yet, you, a year or two later, you were there with the medicine that worked for Genesis. Chris, the astonishing thing is that, the, that this absolutely worthless piece of powder that had the sparkle of a promise of hope for Genesis is not only keeping Genesis and other people um, alive today, but produces almost a billion and a half dollars a year in revenue. <laughs> <laughs> so here you go. <laughs> so you took, you took this company public, right? And, and made an absolute fortune. And how much have you paid Glaxo, by the way, in the back, in addition paid, to that $25,000? Yeah, well, we pay every year, we pay them 10% of $1.5 billion, $150 million last year, $100 million. It's the best return on investment they ever received. <laughs> and the best news of all, I guess, is this. Yes, Genesis is an absolutely uh, brilliant uh, young lady. She's alive, healthy today at 30. You see me being in Genesis there. She's... Um, the most amazing thing about Genesis is that while she could do anything with her life, and believe me, if you grow up your whole life telling with people in your face saying that you've got a fatal disease, I would probably run to like Tahiti and just not want to run into anybody again. But instead, she chooses to work in United Therapeutics. She says she wants to do all she can to help other people with orphan diseases get medicines. And today, she's our project leader for all telepresence activities 
where she helps digitally unite the entire company to work together to find cures for pulmonary hypertension. But not everyone who has this disease has been so fortunate.、Uh, there are still many people dying, and you are tackling that too. How? Exactly, Chris. There's some 3,000 uh, people a year in the United States alone, perhaps 10 times that number worldwide, who continue to die of this illness because the medicines slow down the progression, but they don't halt it. The only cure for pulmonary hypertension, pulmonary fibrosis, cystic fibrosis,、uh, emphysema, COPD, what Leonard Nimoy just died of, is a lung transplant. But、uh, sadly, there are only enough available lungs for 2,000 people in the U.S. a year to get a lung transplant, whereas nearly a half million people a year die of end-stage lung failure. So, how can you address that? So I conceptualize the possibility that、uh, just like we keep cars and planes and buildings going forever with an unlimited supply of building parts and machine parts, why can't we create an unlimited supply of transplantable organs to keep people living indefinitely, and especially people with lung disease? So we've teamed up with the decoder of the human genome,、uh, Craig Venter. And the company he founded with、uh, Peter Diamandis, the、uh, founder of the X Prize, to genetically modify the pig genome, and so that the pig's organs will not be rejected by the human body, and thereby to create an unlimited supply of transplantable organs. We do this through our company, United Therapeutics. So you really believe that within what a decade that this shortage of transplantable lungs may be cured through these guys? Absolutely,、uh, Chris. I'm as certain as that as I was of the、uh, success that we've had with、uh, direct television broadcasting, SiriusXM. It's actually not rocket science. It's straightforward engineering away one gene after another. We're so lucky to be born in the time that、uh, sequencing genomes is a routine activity. And the brilliant folks at Synthetic Genomics are able to zero in on the pig genome, find exactly the genes that are problematic, and fix them. But it's not just bodies that—that、um, <laughs> that is amazing.、Um, it, it's not just long-lasting bodies that are of interest to you now. It's, it's long-lasting minds. And I think,、um, like this graph, for you, says something quite profound. What does this mean? What this graph means,、um, and it comes from Ray Kurzweil, is that the rate of、uh, development in computer processing, hardware, firmware, and software has been advancing along a curve, such that by the 2020s, as we saw in earlier presentations today, the,、uh, there will be information technology that processes information and the world around us at the same rate as a human mind. And so that being so, you're actually getting ready for this world by believing that we will soon be able to, what, actually take the contents of our brains and somehow preserve them for ever. How, how do you how do you describe that? Well, Chris, the、um, what we're working on is creating a situation where people can create a mind file, and a mind file is the collection of their mannerisms, personality, recollection, feelings. Beliefs, attitudes, and values—everything that we pour today into Google, into Amazon, into Facebook—and、um, um, all of this information stored there will be able, in the next couple decades, once software is able to recapitulate consciousness, be able to revive the consciousness 
which is imminent in our mind file. Now you're not just messing around with this; you're serious. I mean, here, who, who is this? This is a robot version of my beloved spice Bina, and we call her Bina 48. She was programmed by Hanson Robotics out of Texas. There's the centerfold from National Geographic magazine with one of her caregivers, and she roams the web and has hundreds of hours of Bina's mannerisms, personalities. She's kind of like a two-year-old kid, but she says things that blows people away. A best expressed by perhaps a New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Amy Harmon, who says her answers are often frustrating, but、um, other times as compelling as those of any flesh person she's interviewed. And is is your thinking here part of your hope here is that this version of Bina can, in a sense, live on forever, or some future, I don't know, upgrade to this version can live on forever? Yes, not just Bina, but、um, everybody. You know, it costs us virtually nothing to store our mind files on Facebook, Instagram, what have you. Social media is, I think, one of the most extraordinary inventions of our time. And、um, as apps come available that will allow us to outsiri Siri better and better and develop consciousness operating systems, everybody in the world, billions of people, will be able to develop. Mind clones of themselves that will have their own life on the web. So the thing is, Martin, that in any normal conversation, this would sound stark staring mad. But but in the context of your life, what you've done, some of the things we've heard this week, the constructed realities that our minds give, I mean, you wouldn't bet against it. Well, I, I think it's really nothing coming from me. If anything, I'm perhaps a, a bit of a、um, communicator of activities that are under being undertaken by the greatest companies in China, Japan, India, the U.S., Europe. There are tens of millions of people working on writing code that、um, expresses more and more aspects of our human consciousness. And you, you don't have to be a, a genius to see that all these. Threads are going to come together and ultimately create human consciousness, and it's something we'll value.、Uh, there are so many things to do in this life, and if we could have a simulcra, a digital doppelganger of ourselves that helped us process books, do shopping,、uh, be our best friends, I believe our mind clones, these digital versions of ourselves, will ultimately be our best friends. And for me personally, and Bina personally. We love each other like crazy. Each day, we are always saying, "Like, wow, I love you even more than 30 years ago." And so, for us, the prospect of mind clones and regenerated bodies is that our love affair, Chris, can go on forever, and we never get bored of each other. I'm sure we never will. I, I think Bina's here, right? She is. Yeah. Would it be too much?、It's、I don't know. Do we have a handheld <laughs> mic, Bina? Could we invite you to the stage? I just have to ask you one question. And besides, we need to see you. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Come, come and、um, come and join Martine here. I mean, look, when you <laughs> when you got married, if someone had told you that in a few years' time the man you were marrying would become a woman, and a few years after that you would become a robot, <laughs> how has this gone? How has it been? It's been really an exciting journey, and I would have never thought that at the time. 
But we started、um, making goals and setting those goals and accomplishing things. And before you knew it, we just keep going up and up, and we're still not stopping. So it's great. Martine told me something really uh, beautiful um, just in the actually on Skype before this, which was、um, that he wanted to live for hundreds of years as a mind file, but not if it wasn't with you. That's right. We want to do it together. We want to. We're cryonicists as well, and we want to wake up together. So, just as you know, from my point of view, this isn't only one of the most astonishing lives I've ever heard. It's one of the most astonishing love stories I've ever heard. It's just a delight to have you both here at TED. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.